Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. So glorious and weird. Hope everybody had a good Memorial Day. Yeah. Alright, so this week, for our quiz, it's which president was the first president to argue a case in front of the Supreme Court? Does that make sense? As a lawyer? Yeah. Ah. Post-presidency. Oh. So the answer will be at the end of this episode. Nice. This week's episode. Cassius Marcellus Clay was born. Nice. It's not it's not who you think it is. (laughs) I know. Cassius Marcellus Clay was born on October 19, 1810 in Madison County, Kentucky, and was one of Sally and Green Clay's seven children. Green Clay was a prominent politician and also one of the wealthiest plantation owners and slaveholders in Kentucky. Cassius recalled his father providing well for their slaves, but when he was a child, he remembered a slave girl being arrested for killing an overseer that had attacked her. And he just remembers how wrong he felt that was. Cassius never forgot that girl or how unfair slavery was. When it was time for him to go to college, Clay tried out a few different state schools. Just feeling his way around. Didn't find one that stuck. Yeah. Until he went to Yale his junior year. In 1828, Clay's father died of cancer and left each of his children slaves, several material possessions, and land in his will. While at Yale, Clay discovered a talent for public speaking and found a love for it. In 1831, William Lloyd Garrison, who was a prominent abolitionist at the time, was scheduled to give a speech at Yale. Clay attended the speech to try to get a feel of what this abolition speak was all about, and he said it changed his life. Clay later wrote that the speech was a new revelation to me. I then resolved that when I had the strength, if ever, I would give slavery a death struggle. Clay graduated from Yale in 1832 and then enrolled in law school at Transylvania University in Lexington. While in Lexington, Clay met a woman named Mary Jane Warfield. They fell in love quickly, though both of their families kind of disagreed to the marriage. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Why? It was mostly her parents. Her parents were, even though he came from a rich family, like, they were also very rich and they just didn't... Approve. Approve of him. Also, he was an abolitionist in Kentucky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, probably not the most favorable of opinions at the time. Yeah. But either way, they fell in love quickly and made plans to get married. When Mary Jane's ex-boyfriend, Dr. John DeClary, who was a doctor and member of the Kentucky legislature, found out about Mary Jane's wedding... Oh, no. (laughs) He wrote her a letter that stated that Cassius had been sexually intimate with a woman from Madison County. According to the letter, the affair left that woman so ashamed of herself that her and her family moved to Texas. Dr. DeClary also accused Clay of having an affair with a slave girl. So, big accusations, especially this time. Yeah, it's very bold of him. Apparently, Mary Jane's mother... Like, she got the letter first and was like, ooh, from Dr. from Dr. John. And she just opened it and read it before giving it to her daughter. Yeah. And then after she read it, she confronted Clay with it and was like, is this true? You dirty, rotten. I already don't like you. Yeah. 
So after Cassius read it, he denied any of these allegations, and he was mad. Cassius and his friend, James Rollins, went to Louisville, or, sorry. Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> That's go. how they Much pronounce better. right? So they went to Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. I heard it's like, you say, you try to say it, but then imagine that your mouth is full of marbles. Yep. Um, so they went to Louisville to de- to confront Dr. DeClary about this letter. When they found him at the hotel he lived at, Cassius showed DeClary the letter and asked if he had explanations for why he would write these things, and Cassius also demanded an apology. DeClary said nothing. He was just like, I don't think you've come here. Yeah. <laughs> so Cassius grabbed a hickory stick that he had brought along for the occasion. And started just beating DeClary with Uh-oh. it. Uh, bystanders tried to intervene and save DeClary, but Rollins held them back with a pistol. So, nothing like good having old. a good friend. There for backup. <laughs> there for backup. Yeah. <laughs> to make sure nobody he, he, hurt me. He's the one that brought the gun to the cane fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least he was on, well, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming we want clay in this uh, to be the winner yeah yeah, yeah. well he was <laughs> after clay was done beating declary with a stick cassius told declary that they would also be staying at the same hotel if declary wanted to fight some more he's like you know where to find me i'll be here when cassius got settled in his room he received word that declary had challenged him to a duel oh twice they tried to duel but there ended up being such big crowds at both events that the duels were called off they're like we're gonna shoot somebody, somebody. yeah a, by- a bystander's gonna get shot. Yeah. Oh, I just have some safety zones, you know? <laughs> yeah. DeClary's friend, Anne Rollins, met to iron out the details of the duel. It's kind of like, all right, send you send your person, I'll send my person, and we'll figure out when we details. can duel next. Yeah. 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 DeClary's friend said the duel should be held on February 26th, 1833, which was also the day that Cassius was supposed to marry Mary Jane. So Ooh. he did that on purpose. Yeah. Rollins was like, that's obviously not going to work. What a terrible friend to go negotiate the the duel on his wedding day. Like, did the friend not know? No, that's no, day? no. Because that was DeClary's friend. That's, yeah. So the doctor's friend that was like, oh, February 26th. And Clay's friend Rollins was like, no, yeah, that's not going to work. Um, He said, no, that's not going to work. Come up with a better one. And he just kind of left. Um, neither Clay nor Rollins heard from DeClary or his friend about a different duel date, so they just assumed the duel was called off, yeah. and Cassius and Mary Jane got married on February 26th, 1833. And, oh, I thought you were going to say the doctor shows up no. when the priest was like, does anybody object? He's like, I'm here to duel. I'm here to duel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but a couple days after the wedding, DeClary started to tell everyone that would listen in Louisville that Clay had chickened out of the duel and never showed up because he was a coward, and that he would give Clay a good cow hiding if he ever saw him. Oh, well, you should expect Clay to show up then. Well, Cassius eventually <laughs> heard about this and figured that he would visit DeClary again. Clay went to DeClary's hotel and just stood at the entrance of the dining room while DeClary ate dinner. DeClary eventually spotted Clay staring at him, went pale, and fled the dining room. just went out the back door. <laughs> yeah. Okay, coward. You're the one calling other people. Exactly. Clay couldn't find DeClary after that. He stayed one more day hoping that DeClary would show himself, but he never did, so Clay went home. 
When he returned home, he was told that DeClary had committed suicide by slashing his wrist the night that he saw Clay in the hotel dining room. What? Yeah. He was so scared of Cassius actually dueling Jeez. him. Yeah. That he just, yeah, committed suicide. Wow. After Gre- So apparently, random note that I didn't put in here. Apparently, Cassius was a huge dude, too. He was six foot three. Oh, no. And this is like 1800s. That's a, that's a little intimidating. He's yeah. a big dude. Yeah, yeah. After graduating with his law degree, Cassius decided to get involved with politics, and he was elected as a representative of Madison County in the Kentucky Legislature in 1835. His first act as a politician was to propose free public schools. He was elected again in 1840 against the son of the largest slaveholder in the state by denouncing slavery in his campaign speeches, calling it an evil morally, economically, socially, religiously, politically evil in its inception and in its duration. Clay began to receive threats for his views on slavery, but Clay was unwavering. Yeah. Not much can intimidate a big man. No, he's not yet (laughs) intimidated really by anybody. He's got a big stature and a big heart. Yeah. During the 1841 election, Clay dueled his opponent after the opponent used Mary Jane's name in his speech. Ooh. How dare you? Yeah. Bring up my wife. Yeah. But neither Clay nor his opponent were able to hit each other. Apparently, they stood 30 feet apart. They both shot. They both yeah, missed. And yeah. they're like, well, that was it. I get it. I'm a terrible shot with a pistol, <laughs> yeah. so I can't imagine using single-action single revolver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After that, Clay announced that he would no longer accept dual challenges. He was actually getting a lot of dual challenges because of his views on slavery. Right. And after being in a few duels, he's like, you know what? I'm just uh, not doing it anymore. I've rolled the dice a few too many well, times. Well, he's kind of like, you know, it's not... F- <laughs> really, you know, worth it to me if I get challenged all the time. Eventually, right. the odds will not be in my favor. Right, so right. I'm just not doing it anymore. Yeah, it's a numbers game. I'm not he, playing he by your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not playing this game anymore. He said he would defend himself if he was attacked, but he felt that duels were a waste of his time. In 1843, Cassius was finally free of the conditions of his father's will and was able to free his slaves and then bought 13 more slaves for $10,000, who he immediately freed as well. Though they were free to go, many of Clay's ex-slaves stayed on his property as hired help. He was like, hey, you can keep your jobs and I'll actually pay you right. if you want to stay. And many of them did. Especially because um, a free black person trying to find a job in the South pre-Civil War. Yeah. It's, yeah. Pretty much impossible. Yeah. That same year, Clay was giving a speech at a barbecue slash political rally in support of Garrett Davis, who was running for Congress as a representative of Kentucky. During his speech, a man named Sam Brown stood up and yelled that what Clay was saying was a damned lie, and then hit Clay with a heavy umbrella. Then Clay grabbed his bowie knife and tried stabbing Sam Brown, but he was grabbed by bystanders before he could stab him. Brown then started waving his revolver around and yelled, Clear the way and let me kill the damned rascal! That caused the men that were holding Clay to, like, kind of be like, Retreat. what? Yeah. And they let go. And Clay started to rush at Brown. Brown shot and hit Clay right in the chest. Oof. But Clay kept coming. Using his bowie knife, Clay cut off Brown's nose and left ear and then gouged out his right eye. Ah. Brown's friends tried to get Brown away from Clay by throwing chairs at Clay. <laughs> they're just like... <laughs> They're, they're not wanting not to get entangled close. in that. Yeah, yeah. They just start throwing chairs Sorry, at Sam. You're the idiot that got yourself into this. So then eventually they just picked up Brown and threw him over a wall. Unfortunately for Brown, it was an eight-foot wall into a spring on the other side. Oh, no. He survived, but it wasn't great. 
Um, Clay, when Clay's friends looked to see where Clay had been shot, there was a tiny red mark right over his heart where the bullet had hit Clay's knife that he always kept in in his inside pocket. Ooh. Clay was arrested for mayhem. What? <laughs> it just he wasn't the instigator. In it. Well, uh, no, <laughs> no. They're just like, like we get that you were shot at, but that was uncalled for. You went well, crazy, dude. Yeah. You cut off his nose yeah. and ear. Gouged yeah. his eye. But he was eventually found not guilty by a jury. Good. In 1845, Cassius decided to start his own paper that we that he would call True American. The paper would publish articles that were all devoted to the cause of emancipation. Cassius figured that he wouldn't make any money with the paper and would actually probably go broke, but he had enough money from his inheritance and decided that it was worth it. Cassius hired T.B. Stevenson to be the editor, but Stevenson quickly resigned when local plantation owners began to make threats. So Clay took over as editor as well. The paper was headquartered out of a three-story brick building in Lexington that Clay decided to fortify in case of violence. Clay armed the building with rifles, shotguns, cavalry lances, and two small brass cannons. There was also a trapdoor on the roof so that he could escape if needed. So he's like, if he was fighting on the roof, like yeah. shooting at people, and then he's like, all right, I can't hold him off any longer. He would escape through the trapdoor on the roof, then get out of his building, and then he had a keg in the building, like a um, keg of powder in the building. Like a self-destruct. Yeah, so then once he was outside <laughs> the building, he could light it from outside the building and blow up anybody that was trying to kill him on the inside. Wow. So nice. That like, that's plan. like that's like my dream house as a kid. I'm pretty sure I've got a notebook with sketches of like Uh-oh. that type of situation. You yeah, know? like if the bad guys all kinds tra- of booby traps. Yeah, and... try to get into my tree fort. Yeah, I'll skip out the secret hatch <laughs> yeah, and I'll exactly. light, the, light the giant <laughs> keg of powder <laughs> made from fireworks that I, you know, tampered with as yeah. a child. The first issue of True American came out on June 3, 1845, and was sent to 300 Kentuckians and 1,700 other subscribers from out of state. Cassius was then asked to serve as a, defle- as a defense lawyer in a local murder case, despite never actually practicing law. He had a law degree, but he had went straight into politics and never right. used it. A local man had been charged with murdering his neighbor. However, the man claimed it was all in self-defense because his neighbor had given him, had given him a very menacing look. <laughs> no other lawyer in the area would, area would take the man's case. So the man asked specifically for Cassius Clay to represent him. Clay agreed. After the prosecutor had made his case for how there was no way this was self-defense, Clay got up to talk to the jury. Suddenly, like out of nowhere during his speech, Clay just glared at the jury with a very malicious look, and the jury even jumped because it was so intimidating. Clay then asked, Gentlemen of the jury, if a man should look at you like this, what would you do? (laughs) The jury only took 15 minutes to deliberate before they delivered a verdict of not guilty. What? Wow. Oh my gosh. There's there's this... I think there's something against harassing the jurors nowadays, but <laughs> he was using it. He was using it as evidence. <laughs> it's still intimidating the jury. Yeah. Though. He's like, like, oh no. Yeah. Did you hear what he did to that other guy? Yeah. Did you hear what he did to the doctor, yeah. Sam Brown? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so after somebody complimented Clay on his trial win, Clay responded, 
It was not so easy as you think. I spent days and days in my room before the mirror practicing that look. It took more hard work to give that look than to investigate the most obtuse cases. Oh my god. That was like the only case that he's ever tried. He ever did. Yeah. And he won. And he's like, all right. All right, yeah. wrapping that up. Yeah, batting a thousand. Yeah, exactly. In 1846, Clay voluntarily enlisted for the Mexican-American War. He was opposed to the war, stating that he thought annexing Texas was just an excuse to create more slave territory. However, he decided that if the war was already declared, all Americans were required to help the nation win the war. Cassius Clay entered as a private in the 1st Kentucky Cavalry, but was quickly promoted to captain. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm surprised he didn't... Well... I, I think know. he. I think he was expecting to be promoted. Yeah. Pretty quickly. Yeah. It was kind of enlisting as a private was a. Uh, the way in. Political move. Way in. Yeah. It was a way in. Well, no, like what I read, he. I it was oh, kind really? of political too. Oh really? He's like, yeah, I'm seeing him just, just one of private. you guys yeah, yeah. just joining yeah. in. Joined as a private, now I'm a captain. Yeah, exactly. Almost as soon as Clay reached Mexico, Clay and his men were surrounded by Mexicans and forced to surrender. One of Clay's officers escaped, which caused the Mexicans to threaten to kill all of the prisoners. Clay told the Mexicans in his best Spanish, Kill the officers! Spare the soldiers! Spare the men! They are innocent! I alone am irresponsible. And then he, like, ripped open his shirt so they could just, like, see his bare chest and was like, Just shoot me! Right here. Yeah. Very, seems very dramatic. It is very dramatic. He probably was like, He he was like, Oh, wait, also let me just move the Bowie knife over. yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, if he'd ripped his shirt open. Yeah. Um, it, it worked. The Mexicans were impressed by his bravery, and they decided to spare all of the soldiers' lives. After months of being held prisoners of war, they were exchanged back to America, and Clay was presented with a jeweled sword for his bravery. In 1849, Clay was giving yet another speech calling for the emancipation of slaves at a political rally. Cyrus Turner, who was a son of a pro-slavery politician, and his five brothers surrounded Clay. They began to punch and club Clay repeatedly. Clay tried to take out his bowie knife to stab them, but the brothers grabbed it and started stabbing Clay with it. Oh no. One of the brothers grabbed his pistol and put it to Clay's head. He pulled the trigger, but the gun misfired. He tried firing two more times, but the gun just kept misfiring. Now, if you're in a fight with Cassius Clay, that has to be, like, the, the worst scariest look. moment of your life. Yeah. It's your gun misfiring. Clay was finally able to get away from the brothers and wrestled his Bowie knife away from them. Cyrus stabbed Clay in the stomach with a knife, so Clay just grabbed Cyrus's hand, pulled his, like, hand and his knife closer, like, pulled the knife further into his stomach mm-hmm. so that he could, like, pull Cyrus in and then stab Cyrus in the stomach with his Bowie knife. Oh, shoot. Right before he passed out from blood loss, Clay raised up his bowie knife and said, I died in defense of the liberties of the people. Both Cyrus and Clay were carried to, nearby how- to a nearby house. Cyrus died 34 hours later, but Clay recovered. Because you can't kill him. <laughs> Jeez. In 1855, Clay granted 10 acres of his own land to John G. Fee who was an abolitionist so that he could open Berea College, which was open to all races, genders, religions, and economic statuses, and there would be no tuition. Berea College is still around today and awards every enrolled student a no-tuition promise. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, as long as you get in, you don't have to pay any tuition there. Wow. During the 1850s, Clay was very involved in establishing the Republican Party. 
He was also a huge supporter and friend of Abraham Lincoln and got him elected president. When the Civil War broke out, Clay organized the Cassius M. Clay Battalion. <laughs> like naming a battalion after yourself. Right. Which was a corps of several hundred volunteers that had orders to protect the White House. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln appointed Clay as an ambassador to Russia. While there, Clay convinced Russia to support the Union during the Civil War by sending their navy. During one of his trips back to the United States, Clay pressured Lincoln to give the Emancipation Proclamation, which Lincoln then did. (laughs) When Clay returned to Russia, he then convinced them to sell Alaska to the United States. Jeez, thanks, Clay. Yeah. Clay was in Russia for eight years, and it sounds like he had a great time. Yeah. He partied with people, like, (laughs) he loved it. He's just, like, trading, buying land for the U.S.? Yeah. Getting getting the Russian Navy to back, you know, the Union. No big deal. After spending eight years in Russia, and then bringing home a four-year-old Russian boy that Clay refused to say was his or not, (laughs) Cassius and Mary Jane's marriage was no longer working. There's a lot of rumors that the boy was Cassius's uh, was a result of an affair between him and a ballerina back oh. in Russia. Because he also brought home a huge painting of a ballerina that he wanted to hang in his house. Yeah. His wife is like, nope, that's it. Well, I'm done. It's over. No more Mary Jane. No. They officially divorced on February 7th, 1878, after 45 years of marriage. Wow. Yeah, that's, a, that's not a long time to be married and then just get divorced. Yeah. <laughs> One of the stipulations of the divorce was that Mary Jane could not remarry as long as Cassius was alive. So when a former cook tried to shoot Cassius, and then Cassius, of course, killed him because it's Cassius. Cassius, and he's invincible. Cassius was suspicious that Mary Jane had something to do with it. So Cassius started arming his house with guns and bowie knives and the brass cannons that used to be at the True American office. What? He just started hiding guns and bowie knives everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know who this is reminding me of? Off yeah. Zombieland? Off Zombie? What? Bill Murray? No. <laughs> no, the other guy. Who, uh, Woody Harrelson? The, yeah, yeah, Woody yeah. Harrelson. Oh so my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of Woody Harrelson. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's what I've envisioning yeah. in my head. Yeah, because <laughs> like his alligator skin hat, cowboy hat, or whatever. That's the kind of thing, though. That, but he was still very much like eighteen hundreds rich, yeah, politician, yeah, yeah. Uh, aristocrat. Yeah. Um. So in eighteen ninety four, Cassius started to develop a crush on the sister of a sharecropper that worked on his land. Her name was Dora, and she had long red hair, gray eyes, and a beautiful singing voice. On November 13, 1894, 84-year-old Cassius Clay married 15-year-old Dora Richardson. Jeez. 69 years age difference? Mm Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah. So, that's not cool. (laughs) Yeah. She's got a, yeah. The marriage didn't last long. Surprising. Cassius died. Nope. No. Of course not. Oh. Well, it's 84 and it's <laughs> late 1800s at this point. Like, No, it was just because she was 15 and he was in his 80s. There's not much to talk about when you're like or three together. generations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the marriage... So 
Cassius filed for divorce in 1898. Dora married her childhood sweetheart a week after the divorce was official, and when she had her first child in 1899, she named him Cassius. Aw, in honor of her first husband. Yeah, sweet, right? That's a little weird. Dora's new husband was an abusive drunk, though, and she went to Clay's house to hide from him. Dora's new husband wasn't too happy about that and planned a robbery of Clay's home with two of his friends. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Remember all those knives and guns he hid everywhere? The trap door? The keg of powder? They're probably thinking, oh, he's 84 years old. He's giving me a reason. (laughs) So they planned on breaking in through the first floor library. Unfortunately for them, Clay had been sleeping in the first floor library because of his gout. And couldn't make it up the stairs anymore. When rescuers came to help, they found found Clay just sitting in the library with his robe slightly burned from the fireplace. There was one burglar dead on the floor from a a gunshot wound, and another man dead outside from a bowie knife stab in the stomach. Doris has been survived, but he ran off. He was 84 years old. Yeah. And he's and still stabbing people with Bowie knives. Like sixteen years old, seventeen years old. Yeah, late teens, early twenties. Yeah, yeah. On July twenty second, he's sitting there just like smoking a just a fatty cigar, just like I still got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On July twenty second, nineteen o three, Cassius Marcellus Clay died of natural causes at the age of ninety two. I don't believe it. He just went into a deep comatose. (laughs) He's still around. He's actually still alive, waiting to rise again. Yeah. He was buried in Richmond Cemetery in Richmond, Kentucky. His funeral was notably comprised of a mixed racial crowd. One newspaper wrote, Never was a more striking scene witnessed on the way to Richmond, where the funeral services were to be held. From every humble Negro cottage along the roadside and at every crossroads, the mothers and large children carrying those who were too little to walk. The Negroes were lined up to pay their last respects to the man whom they honored as the Abraham Lincoln of Kentucky. In 1964, there was a 22-year-old heavyweight boxing champion named Cassius Marcellus Clay. Mm. Well, I think you thought this story was going to be about yeah. it first. Yeah. He was from Louisville, Kentucky. He was named after his father, who was... Named after the original Cassius Marcellus Clay. He was Dora's... No. No. Uh, his, like, great-grandfather had worked on Clay's property. Ah, uh, okay. When the boxer converted to Islam, he decided to get rid of the Cassius Clay name because he said that was a slave name, and that he didn't choose it and he didn't want it. His new name would be Muhammad Ali, which yeah. meant beloved by God. So. Hmm. That's the story of the original Cassius Marcellus Clay. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a good story. Yeah. You know, we were just talking about this. We were driving up to the mountains on Memorial Day weekend. How, like, sometimes there's just not a good way to resolve problems. Like, people are just, just a good old, you know, a, just a good old-fashioned duel might solve more problems. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like... What was, well, didn't that one guy, it's not necessarily a duel, but that one guy was going, like, uh, he wanted to do a duel by, or decision by combat or whatever with his wife over their custody paddle. Hmm. He was like, I will fight your lawyer, like, 
with swords for our children. What? When was yeah. this? Like a year ago. Um, Maybe. Child. I think in I think in Iowa. <laughs> Is a real thing. Yeah. People are still trying to bring back duels. Probably, but sometimes I believe the people that want to bring back duels are the people that we shouldn't trust with duels. <laughs> what? You don't trust me with a duel? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did admit how terrible... Well, see, that's the thing. It's like, I'm a terrible shot. So it's like, you know, like, it either have to be the hill that I want to die on that it'd lead to a duel. Yeah. Or I just concede the point. Though I think sometimes back then it was easier to duel because they were like, chances are we're not going to hit each other. It's kind of just a show of like our manliness. Yeah, yeah. It was more surprising if like you actually did hit the other person. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't hit the broadside of a barn yet. Here you are, a twig 30 feet away. Yeah, exactly. Um, my sources for this story are Yale. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What? What about the? I know. I'm gonna read sources first, and then we'll tell. I'll say the oh, answer. Okay. Uh, my sources for the story are Yale News article Muhammad Ali, originally named for ardent abolitionist and Yale alumnus Cassius Clay. The worst case scenario almanac politics by David Borgenich and Turk Regan. Cassius Marcellus Clay, Firebrand of Freedom, by H. Edward Richardson. The Anti-Slavery Career of Cassius M. Clay, by Lowell H. Harrison. Cassius M. Clay, Freedom's Champion, by Kevin McQueen. Alright, and now for the answer to the presidential quiz. So the first president to argue a case in front of the Supreme Court, as like post-president, as a lawyer was John Quincy Adams. Ah. There was a ship that had been carrying captured Africans from Africa that was bringing them over to America as slaves. The Africans ended up killing their captors on the ship. When the ship was brought into America, the Africans were then were then captured. And mm-hmm. John Quincy Adams argued on the behalf of them. Okay. Yeah. That was the... First president to do that. And he'd even appointed judges to the Supreme Court. Right. So I don't know how fair that is, but. It's a little little odd. Yeah. I think they'd probably uh, frown upon that. Yeah. Nowadays. I don't know. Well, nowadays, no president ever goes back to work. I mean, like, you you look at them all, like, they do humanitarian work or, you know. But never, like, a job job. Yeah, yeah. Never, like. Never like, I'm going to go be a lawyer and have to, like, use my brain a lot. Right. But, I mean, I guess it would be just as fair as if a president had appointed judges and then had to be taken to the Supreme Court for a case. Right? I don't know. But that's your presidential trivia for the week. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to us so people can find out about us and listen to... If you would like to know more about this episode or check out some of our merchandise, please go to americathebazaar.com. If you would like to support us, because we're just the small indie podcast and we would love your support, please go to patreon.com and search for America the Bazaar. So, stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay stay weird, America. America.